0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Hans Vogt, professor of Ulster County Community College. And Hans, it's great to have you here today. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Well, you know, there is something special on the platter for us today uh, when Hans is here because uh, we try to tie these things to historical events when you appear in the studio. And uh, today, of course, is the 4th of July, Independence Day. You know, before I ask you the first question, uh, how about this question? You're a professor at Ulster. And uh, I believe you're you're even teaching a course right now, even though you've kind of been on a sabbatical or whatever. And if someone wants to take a course from you, is is that possible to to take a history course? Maybe just 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 one course, not not a whole curriculum.
1: Sure, we uh, we have people who audit courses as non-matriculated students. Do they have to be in Ulster County? No, uh, I do teach online. I'm, I'm teaching a American government class online right now. Uh, and I'll be teaching, uh, I think, African-American history in the, in the fall online. And so, yeah, you can do it online as well. Well, that's good. So
0: if a person wants to look that up, just go to Ulster County Community College.
1: Right. SUNYUlster.edu if you want to. Oh, there to it is. Oops.
0: SUNYUlster.edu. Okay. So um, today, the 4th of July, Hans, I'm wondering if we can do a little background leading up to the um, time of the Revolutionary War. What was going on in the colonies? What led to this conflict? Uh, what were the concerns of the people?
1: Sure. Uh, really, I think the place to begin, and when I do my lecture on this at, uh, at uh, the college where I begin, is really with the end of the Seven Years' War, or French and Indian War, as we call it in, uh, in North America. Uh, and the peace treaty for that war is signed in 1763, And it is a huge victory for the British Empire. They battled the French all around the world. They basically beat the French all around the world. And for North America, the significance is that the French are removed entirely from the North American continent. And this makes the American colonists extremely happy uh, to have their enemies defeated and, and removed as a threat. And they are very proud and happy to be British citizens. In fact, the folks in New York City are so happy, they donate their money to put up a statue of their new young king, George III. And 13 years later, they will tear down that statue and melt it down to make bullets to fight British soldiers. That's
0: amazing. So what, what was the conflict of the French and Indian uh, War? What was going on there?
1: Well, the the French and the British had been battling for control of North America for, you know, well over a hundred years. They were also fighting in other parts of the world too, in the in the Caribbean, in Africa, in India. It really was the first global war, even though we don't call it the First World War. It was, mm-hmm. um, but from the North American perspective, um, what's important about the war and, and the victory is that. As long as the French and their Native American allies were there as a threat, the colonists needed the mother country to send soldiers and fight and protect them, and Great Britain needed the colonists to fight. With the removal of the French, the reason for working together and cooperating was also gone. Hmm. And so both sides began to say... I'm not so sure we need them anymore. So after this great victory,
0: the New York City folks create the statue. Something starts to deteriorate now uh, as we approach, what is it, 1776.
1: Well, the other effect of the war is that it was very, very expensive, uh, and it left Great Britain deeply in debt.
0: Now, that's typical, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) And and we're going through that right now. Exactly.
1: All these foreign wars... Kill our economy war is about the most expensive thing a government can do yeah so and if you're fighting it all over the world you're really going to ring up the debt well how do you pay off the debt you raise taxes Mm -hmm. but the folks in england were pretty heavily taxed already the folks in the colonies were not really taxed very heavily at all and so the british government said well we think it's time those American colonists start paying their fair share of taxes. Mm -hmm. And so they began instituting the Stamp Act, the Sugar Act, uh, the Tea Act. They began placing taxes on goods and services that the colonists bought in order to try to raise money to pay off that debt. Mm -hmm. And the colonists didn't take kindly to these new taxes.
0: The time frame of these acts... um, I was doing a little reading. It looked like the Sugar Act, 1764, perhaps, was
1: an earlier act. Right. That was one of the first. um, And actually, that was actually a tax decrease, not a tax increase. Uh, The key to the Revenue Act or the Sugar Act was that it increased enforcement. Mm -hmm. And for merchants like John Hancock, whose name appears in the largest letters at the bottom of the Declaration of (laughs) Independence— he was used to paying a cent and a half bribe to the inspection officials to look the other way when he smuggled in his molasses. Oh, that's interesting. Now he was going to have to pay a three-cent tax. So even though on paper the tax was cut from six cents to three cents, for John Hancock, it's doubled, Ah. and he's not happy.
0: And some places said that, it increased duties on foreign sugar imported from the West Indies. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. All right. And then there was this, um, what, Quartering Act? Right. Okay. And so there, um, what, these British soldiers, uh, if, if they didn't have enough room in their barracks. By the way, folks, down Main Street, you got to put these guys up.
1: And I assume you had to feed them, too. Right. And this is a direct violation of the English Bill of Rights. Ah. which says that there will be no quartering of troops in peacetime.
0: Interesting. Stamp Act.
1: That was the one that really got the colonists riled up in 1765. Uh, the stamps were um, not like a modern-day postage stamp, That for uh, those of you who still use snail mail, that you might put on a letter. Uh, but this was a tax on all paper goods. So anything made out of paper, books, newspapers, magazines, playing cards, Mm -hmm. legal documents, uh, like wills or uh, contracts, anything made out of paper, you were supposed to pay this tax. And if you never did it before
0: and never had to do it before, it probably really irked the colonists. Saying, what are you
1: doing to us? That's right. And you had uh, groups formed in some of the communities called Sons of Liberty, and they staged mass protests. Uh, in some cases, those protests got a little out of hand, particularly in Boston, where uh, an angry mob attacked the home of the lieutenant governor, Andrew Oliver, and the, one of the tax collectors, Thomas Hutchinson. Um, well, you know, Boston kind of has a history throughout this of being a little bit rowdy. And a couple other
0: acts I read about, the
1: Townshend Acts, Right. Those were uh duties or taxes on imported goods. And remember that virtually everything the colonists bought in terms of manufactured goods was imported from England. Mhm. The
0: Tea Act. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me of this tea
1: party. So so I mean the Boston Tea Party, right. yeah. Right. Uh you know the the Tea Act in the minds of the British government this had nothing to do with this Uh, long-standing dispute. Mm -hmm. This was a corporate bailout, Oh, not unlike modern-day corporate bailouts by our own government where we step in and we say we're going to rescue some well-connected bank or car company or what have you. Uh, And this was a bailout for the British East India Company. Mm -hmm. This was a private company that governed much of India uh, as a for-profit business enterprise. And they were in financial hot water, shall we say. And uh, they needed to sell a lot of their tea quickly. And so what the act did was allow them to sell their tea in America at reduced rates. And in fact, waived the duty on the tea. So this was like a monopoly. Yes. Oh, yeah. And understand that the directors uh, of the British East India Company were... In, in many cases, either related to members of parliament or members of parliament themselves. So uh, they were very well connected politically to make this happen. Oh, uh, yes.
0: That must have aggravated people.
1: Well, yeah. At first, you might say, okay, well, if they can waive the duty on the tea and the price goes down, shouldn't they be happy? But by this point, the colonists were convinced this was an attempt to trick them mm-hmm. into accepting the principle of being taxed on imported yes. goods. And there were protests, again, in all the colonies. But again, Boston is where things got uh, the most riled up. And uh, in December 16th, 1773, uh, the Sons of Liberty, disguised as Mohawk Indians, uh, went aboard the three ships from the British East India Company. And they destroyed 342 chests of tea.
0: I remember seeing... Uh, depictions of that, maybe from years ago being in history class. Right. Okay. Were there other issues besides
1: all of these that ignited the emotions of the colonists? Absolutely. It was more than just being upset about taxes. I mean, nobody likes to pay taxes. Nobody likes tax increases. Uh, but the bigger issues at stake were the issues of rights and governance, Uh, the British colonists believed that they had not lost any of their rights when they moved to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And so they began this uh, conflict defending their rights as Englishmen, the rights and the liberties that were outlined in the English Constitution, the English Bill of Rights. And they also believed that only their representatives whom they elected meaning the colonial legislatures, had a right to pass laws and impose taxes on them. Mm -hmm. And very consistently, beginning with the Stamp Act on, they said, we're not represented in parliament, therefore parliament cannot tax us. No taxation without representation. That's where that comes from. Okay.
0: I remember years ago... um, um, One of the participants on A Plain Answer, Pastor Mark Diedrich, mentioned to us the fact that the Great Awakening had a profound effect upon the thinking of the colonists. Can you describe that at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, you had a a tremendous religious revival that has swept through the colonies uh, in the 1730s and 1740s uh, and had changed a a lot of hearts and minds. Uh, It had uh, also um, promoted uh you know a, a very strong sense of identity uh as christians uh, and there were a lot of concerns uh that the mother country was becoming increasingly corrupt mm-hmm. uh, and morally degenerate uh they were very one of the concerns they were worried about is that they feared that the Church of England was going to attempt to impose bishops on them oh, yeah. and do away with their independent, congregational, and Presbyterian, and Reformed, and, yeah. and other churches.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, that's the mix. Is there anything else that rises to the surface that would be in there that would cause them to want to get some kind of resolution and that would lead to the Revolutionary War?
1: Well, it's the Tea Act that really creates the showdown, because when, when mm-hmm. word comes back to London of, of what happened, the government is furious, And they believe the colonies are already in rebellion. And they believe we have to crack down and lay down the law Mm -hmm. to them. And so Parliament passes the Coercive or Intolerable Acts. Mm. The Port of Boston is shut down until the tea is paid for. The king will now appoint the upper house of the Massachusetts legislature. Town meeting government comes to an end in Massachusetts. It's getting serious. Soldiers will be quartered in private homes. Mm. Any government official indicted for a capital offense will be tried not in the colony where the crime or accused crime took place, but in Nova Scotia or in England, Hmm. which is a violation of the right to a trial by jury of your peers in the vicinity where the crime was committed. Hmm. Uh, This is where... uh, the colonists really now begin to believe that their rights are seriously being not just threatened but actually being taken away from them.
0: So to put in language that means something to me today, that, that sounds like government overreach. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Very st- being strong-armed by the government and, and not free men and women. Right. All right. So what happens next?
1: Well, the First Continental Congress. <laughs> Delegates gather from the colonies... Uh, in Philadelphia because it's the largest and most centrally located city in the 13 colonies. They organize a the boycott of all British goods. They send a petition uh, explaining their position to the government in London. And they debate a plan of union to create an intercolonial government, and they reject that plan Uh they're, it shows us that they're beginning to realize um, we're going to need to cooperate together if we're really serious about standing up for our rights here.
0: Now, I got a question. This this boycott of British goods, um, were, were the colonies that independent that they could afford to boycott these goods and still be able to keep going?
1: Well, there wasn't a whole lot of manufacturing going on in the no. colonies. Uh, and the Really, the way to get around uh, buying British goods would be to smuggle in Dutch goods Ah. or goods from other countries. But the Netherlands was the other leading source of imported manufactured goods. All right,
0: all right. So, you've got this Continental Congress. What happens next?
1: Well, back in Massachusetts, uh, General Thomas Gage is now the military governor of the colony. He's got four regiments of, of troops uh, in Boston, hmm. uh, but he doesn't control the countryside. And he knows that the militia is training and drilling. He knows that they've got supplies of gunpowder and weapons stored at various places. The colonists. Yes. Yes. And he decides, I've got to try to get a hold of this. I've got to try to you know, regain control. Take of this over situation. their guns. Right. Yeah. And he makes several attempts, and each time he's thwarted because the spy network of the Sons of Liberty gets word of it. And riders, including the famous Paul Revere, he made several rides uh, to, to alert the countryside. So each time his plans are thwarted. And Gage eventually figures out who is, keeps tipping off the Sons of Liberty. Uh-huh. And in all likelihood, it's his wife. Oh, that's interesting. He married a colonist. Uh, When they move back to England, he has virtually nothing to do with her for the rest of their lives. Wow. Oh, my.
0: Well, she was faithful to her comrades. (laughs) Right. So this leads up to uh, a declaration of independence, I assume.
1: It does. You have, you know, the actual fighting begins, of course, at Lexington and Concord, April 19th, 1775. Uh, the Second Continental Congress, when they meet in that summer, they've got a war in their hands. So so the fighting had already started before the Declaration of Independence. Right. Ah. right. And so uh, the Second Continental Congress, you know, raised uh, a Continental Army. They appointed George Washington as their commander in chief. Mm. Uh, and they're still not ready to declare independence. And so mm. they send one last petition. It's called the Olive Branch Petition. Uh, Once more outlining their position and saying, we're willing to fight for our rights, but we don't want to do this. Please, will you listen to us? I wonder if
0: the effect of the Great Awakening is seen there also in terms of trying to seek peace first and only as a last resort go to war.
1: Right. Exactly. It's interesting. They, they issue a declaration of the causes and necessity of taking up arms on July 6, 1775, one year before the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. And it begins with these words, If it was possible for men who exercised their reason to believe that the divine author of our existence intended a part of the human race to hold an absolute property in and an unbounded power over others, marked out by his infinite goodness and wisdom, as the objects of a legal domination never rightly resistible, however severe and oppressive. The inhabitants of these colonies might at least require from the Parliament of Great Britain some evidence that this dreadful authority over them has been granted to that body. But our reverence for our great Creator the principles of humanity, and the dictates of common sense must convince all those who reflect upon the subject that government was instituted to promote the welfare of mankind hmm. and ought to be administered for the attainment of that end.
0: Hmm. If someone just tuned in, they heard half of that. Can you translate that into a real short, meaningful sentence?
1: Sure. I mean, what they're basically saying is that... Uh, God, that's the divine author of our yeah. existence, never intended for a small group of people to hold absolute or despotic power right. over others. And that government was intended by God to promote the welfare of mankind, not mm-hmm. the oppression of mankind. I wonder, too, is, is, is Christian
0: principles coming in there where, mm-hmm. where we seem to... Shy away from and despise the idea of just one individual having all this power over over others. Uh, you see that with a plurality of elders, certainly in the church, and, exactly and protecting uh, and being accountable and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Interesting, interesting. Maybe you can summarize where we are um, with the for, with the Declaration of Independence, and then quick comment about. Where is America today in contrast with the, the colonists? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, the war has begun. Uh, it's clear neither side is going to back down. Yeah. And finally, by the spring of 1776, one by one, the colonies begin to declare independence. Uh, and then the Second Continental Congress will approve a motion for independence, and they will vote. For independence on July 2nd, 1776. Oh,
0: yes. I have a quotation here, in fact, uh, if, if, if I may read it. it. It was from John Adams. He wrote to his wife, Abigail. <laughs> he says, The second day of July 76 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by sovereign acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forevermore.
1: Well, he was right about the celebrations. Uh, He was wrong about the date, of course. (laughs) He's off by two days. He's off by two days. And why do we celebrate July 4th? That's the day they approved Thomas Jefferson's Declaration right. of Independence.
0: Right. And, and Congress really worked through that. It wasn't just fed to them and said, you know, you haven't read the
1: words, just vote it in. No, they actually worked through it, didn't they? Oh, yes. Thomas Jefferson died a thousand deaths while they edited his document oh, and bet. took out words and clauses that he thought were very important.
0: Yes. Today... Conditions on the ground. Um, if we had the mindset that the colonists did back then, and had some of the excesses today, what might be the response?
1: Well, I think the biggest comparison has to do with uh, the role of government and what is the what is the purpose of government? Is it to promote the welfare of mankind, uh, or is it to uh, reward certain favored groups? who have donated money, or who have, in other ways, benefited the people in power. Mm. Uh, And I think, certainly, if I think the the Founding Fathers were to come back and see the size and the power and the reach of the government into Mm. the daily lives of people, they would be, I think it's fair to say, horrified.
0: Yes, that's that's a good point. I think also we do need to turn to God as as a nation, Mm -hmm. stating the obvious, and uh, beseech him and and ask his forgiveness for our many sins. Um, And uh, that's another topic for another day. But um, any final comments before we close?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and as the Declaration says, you know, it is God who has endowed us with certain inalienable rights. Uh, and he is the ultimate source of authority uh, for governments, uh, for nations. Uh, he, you know, as, as, as he says in his word, you know, I, I cause governments to rise and fall. I assign nations where to live. You know, all of that is in his sovereign will. Uh, and we forget, I think. Maybe it's even easier to forget in a mm-hmm. democracy where we think, well, we vote and we choose and it's all up to us. Yes, but. Yes, but. It's a big but.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Our, our guest today is Dr. Hans Vogt, professor at Ulster County Community College. And a reminder also to check out one of his courses. They're great. Uh, if you wish to listen to this broadcast again, it's up on our website as a podcast. That's found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.